Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about Daily Daf Differently, please visit jcastnetwork.org slash ddd. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Welcome to Daily Daf Differently. I'm Rob Scheinberg, Rabbi of United Synagogue of Hoboken, New Jersey, and today we're studying Pesachim Lamed Gimel, Pesachim pages 33a and b. In yesterday's podcast, we discussed the differences between two divinely imposed death penalties, Karet and Mitabi Deshamayim, and how one rabbi, Rabbi Nachman Bar Yitzchak, was troubled by a text that appeared to suggest that Karet was less severe than Mitabi Deshamayim. If the notion of these divinely imposed death penalties is interesting to you or troubling to you, I invite you to listen to yesterday's podcast. But today, we'll pick up where we left off, and along the way, we'll have some things to say about the very wide variety of ways that one can make an error accidentally. And also, we'll have some things to say about Talmudic argumentation. Now, what bothered Rabbi Nachman Bar Yitzchak was a Brita, a Tanaitic statement, on the previous page. That Brita indicated that when someone commits an act of mi'ilah, of misappropriation of sacred property, if one does it accidentally, one needs to bring an offering to the temple as part of that process of atonement for that inadvertent sin. But if one committed an act of mi'ilah on purpose, not accidentally, then one does not have to bring the offering. And the rationale for this is that the verse in the Torah about this includes the words v'chat'ah bishgaga, one who sins inadvertently. But that's not the part that bothers Rabbi Nachman Bar Yitzchak yet. What bothers Rabbi Nachman Bar Yitzchak is the second half of the Brita, which says, we had to learn this principle from a biblical verse because you might have thought that this was something obvious, that is something that you could have derived as a kalvachomer, as a logical inference. So why might you have thought that you could have derived this notion logically? Because there are many other prohibitions in the Torah for which the penalty for deliberate transgression is karet, this divine excision, this variety of death penalty imposed by God that we discussed yesterday. And in those cases, if you committed this sin inadvertently, your punishment is not karet, but you have to bring an offering. But if you did it deliberately, then you don't have to bring the offering. So anyway, you might have thought that if, for sins punishable by karet, the one who commits the sin on purpose doesn't need to bring the offering, kalvachomer, all the more so for the sin of mi'ilah, misappropriation of sacred property, for which the punishment is only mitabi deshamayim, death at the hands of heaven, which is a less severe punishment than karet, all the more so you would expect that one who commits that infraction deliberately doesn't need to bring the offering. But, this Breita continues. This is an erroneous argument because you could just as easily have argued the Kava Homer in the other direction. Maybe Mitabi de Shamayim, death at the hands of heaven, is actually a worse punishment than Karet, divine excision, in which case you would expect that Mi'ilah would generally have stricter rules than other commandments and not more lenient rules than other commandments. Tamud Lamar, Vishkaga. And that is why we have to learn this law from a word the word bishkaga found in the biblical verse. 
the verse that specifies that the offering is brought by the one who sinned, bishgaga, inadvertently. Well, this suggestion that we don't really know which penalty is more severe, karet or mitabi deshamayim, this is troubling enough to some of the rabbis that they assume that there's something wrong with the text of this breita, and they suggest alternate readings for it. And that brings us finally to our page for today. A few rabbis will present alternate versions of this breita that will better clarify the reason why we would require a biblical verse to prove that someone guilty of deliberate me'ilah doesn't need to bring an offering as part of the expiation process, even though we might have thought that we could have figured that out through logical reasoning alone. In this podcast, though, we're just going to look at one of these alternate versions of the breita, of the end of the breita. Marbere de Rabbana, Amar Hachika Amar. Mar ben Ravana says, This is what the end of the Braita should have said. Lo imamart bishar mitzvot shelo asabahen she'en mitkaven kemitkaven. If you would seek to compare mi'ilah, the misappropriation of sacred property, to other mitzvot, you would notice that many other prohibitions, like the prohibition of work on Shabbat, make a distinction between someone who transgresses intentionally and someone who transgresses unintentionally. With the laws of Shabbat, for example, if someone was trying to cut something that was already detached from the ground, which is permitted on Shabbat, and accidentally cut something that was still attached to the ground, which is forbidden on Shabbat, such a person is exempt from bringing an offering. Tamar the case of Me'ilah is different. Me'ilah, the expropriation of, of misappropriation of sacred property, does not carry an exemption for sacred trespass that's done unintentionally. For example, someone has two bundles of wool. One bundle is hulin, non-sacred property that's fully permissible to use for any purpose. And one bundle of wool is from a burnt offering, which is sacred property, and using it would constitute the sin of Me'ilah. And suppose... You're cold, and you want to wrap yourself in some wool. You know one bundle is okay to use, and one bundle is forbidden to use. But you get the bundles mixed up, and you wrap yourself in the wrong one. Sorry, there is no exemption from bringing an offering from doing a transgression unintentionally for violations of the law of Me'ilah. So, since you might have thought that since in this sense the laws of Me'ilah are actually stricter than many other laws... We couldn't figure it out by simple logical inference that one who commits me'ilah deliberately is exempt from bringing an offering, and thus we need the biblical verse. So let's pause here to consider what is happening. First of all, we get to marvel at the complex logical structure of the argument that is occupying us for these couple of pages. We're not arguing about the law. We're not arguing about the biblical basis of a law. And we're not even arguing about whether this is a law that requires a biblical basis or not. What we're arguing about is the Hava Amina. We're arguing about the exact wording of the reason why this is a law that requires a biblical basis and why without the biblical verse we wouldn't have been able to figure out the law based on logic alone. It's been noted that this kind of style makes the Talmud a most unusual religious text. As the British rabbi Lionel Blue likes to say, most holy books and most religions are books of holy answers, but the Talmud is a book of holy questions and holy arguments. 
And these are arguments that reflect a preoccupation with leaving no stone unturned and following God's law in the Torah exactly appropriately. And second, at the risk of saying something very obvious for people accustomed to Talmud study, this entire passage talks about bringing these offerings to the temple as if this is simply a normative part of Jewish law in the present tense. And that's also how I'm referring to these offerings in this podcast. And people studying the Talmud around the world today also refer to these offerings as simply a normative part of the Jewish present. Even though virtually every rabbi quoted on this page lived long after the temple was destroyed and never brought or saw such an offering in his entire life. Well, we've said more about this phenomenon in previous podcasts this week. Now, looking at the context, the content here. We're being introduced to an idea that's crucial to the laws of Shabbat and many other areas of Jewish law, which is that there are numerous, extremely different ways to violate a law unintentionally. And we probably should treat all these ways to violate a law unintentionally differently. Let's take the example of Shabbat. How could one violate the laws of Shabbat by accident, unintentionally? Well, the first category is it's possible for someone to violate Shabbat because they have insufficient information. They've, let's say, forgotten, or perhaps for some reason they never knew that there is such a thing as Shabbat. Or they've forgotten, or they didn't know that such and such an activity is prohibited on Shabbat. Or they may have forgotten that today is Shabbat. All of that is part of the classic definition of Shigaga, unintentional violation of Shabbat. And for all of these kinds of violation of Shabbat, one does have to bring the korban. One does have to bring the offering as part of the expiation process. But there's another kind of accidental action that doesn't have to do with the lack of information. This other kind of accidental action is simply, you could say, a, a failure of dexterity. I know that today is Shabbat. I know that harvesting something attached to the earth is forbidden on Shabbat. I have no intention of violating that law. So I bend down to pick something up that I know is permissible for me to pick up on Shabbat. But then somehow, when I look in my hand, I realize somehow I picked up the wrong thing. I accidentally picked up something that had been attached to the ground, so I inadvertently harvested something on Shabbat. Not because of something I didn't know, but because my action did not reflect my intention. And in such a case, which is referred to as a davar she'eno mitkaven, doing something I didn't mean to do, I am exempt from bringing korban, or an offering. And this exemption, though, actually does not apply to me'ilah, to misappropriation of temple property, which is the whole basis for this rewriting of this Brita in the first place. So the next time someone apologizes to you for doing something inappropriate and says, I didn't mean to do it, or the next time you are apologizing for doing something that you didn't mean to do, it may be useful to keep in mind that there's a wide variety of ways that someone can do something that they didn't mean to do. And these wide variety of ways perhaps carry varying levels of legal responsibility or ethical responsibility and perhaps a deserving of being treated differently. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the opening and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epichorus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.